Welcome to episode five of the Thunder Sports Report. I'm Rusty Lindsay. This is a special episode of the Thunder Sports Report with the NBA Finals in full swing. We're fortunate enough to have a basketball alum who is very uniquely tied to both the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to sit down with Randy Fund. All right, we're joined with uh, Wheaton basketball alumnus Randy Fund. And Randy, thanks for taking the time to join us here. This, like we were just kind of talking about, works out really well that you have connections to both teams in the NBA Finals. So what a great opportunity to, to get to talk to you about your time uh, in the coaching ranks and the front office ranks with both of these teams. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a bit distressing in some ways that I have loyalties in uh, both directions. But w- one of the biggest loyalties I have as, as a Laker coach uh, was our – rivalry with the Boston Celtics and so uh as as much as I ended up um my NBA uh career with the Miami Heat uh it would be real nice to see the Lakers uh finally tie the Boston Celtics for 17 championships that that would that would erase something that's been around for a number of a number of years so that that would be nice for the uh, Lakers to finally equal the Celtics 17 NBA championships. Yeah, kind of a rewriting of NBA history there. Well, let's start. I want, I want to take it back and kind of start uh, coming out of Wheaton and, and kind of to ask you how you ended up getting with the Lakers because you showed up there in L.A. at a pretty prime time of, of in a high spot of Laker basketball there. I did. And, and I think to be fair to the story and, and um, for those that don't know, you know, I grew up in Wheaton. Most most people that go to Wheaton College, they're their experiences with Wheaton start when they're 18, 18, 19 years old when they arrive on campus. I, I arrived on campus at about age one and a half. And uh, <laughs> we lived we lived where the Billy Graham Center is now. And I went to grade school right across from Meyer Science Center. And, and in those days, you know, after school, kids didn't have to be home till it turned dark. So we spent most of our after-school hours rummaging around either uh, where my dad was coaching at the alumni gym or Old Lawson Field or down at the football field or in Blanchard Hall. So I I had uh, a lifetime of experiences. I can remember playing what you would call sandlot baseball where Fisher Hall is now with uh, Dr. Hudson Armoring's two, two sons, Taylor and Paul. And uh, so I I grew up there and and watched a lot of uh, athletes over the years that that were coached in all all sports and I think when you refer to to the NBA I, I think it goes all the way back to a great player at Wheaton who graduated in 1950 Bud Schaefer um, I think Bud was the first one that that had some NBA connections he actually was was uh, had had the chance to play NBA basketball but would not play on Sundays. And for those that know, my dad, Lee, Leroy Fund, who play, played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he had a no Sunday clause that allowed him not to have to pitch on Sunday. And uh, Bud wanted to do the same thing, but there wasn't an NBA team that would uh, sign him to a contract under those conditions. So he played on a team against the Harlem Globetrotters. And believe me, he had some good stories. Now, Bud was a great player, went on to, to – um, be involved with sports ambassadors, um, sports ministry trips all over the world. So really, Bud was kind of the first 
guy with some NBA connections. There was another good player in that era, Marv Johnson. I don't know whether Marv had any tryouts or not, but he was a great player, uh, followed by Dick Gross, um, who was also a good player in the 50s. Um, I know I, I remember Coach talking a lot about he either had a tryout um, or was in camp with either the Boston Celtics or the Syracuse Nationals. And I remember Coach talking about he brought back a lot of good drills and stuff he had learned. And he was the assistant coach on the uh, Wheaton team that won the the uh, small college championship in 1957. Um, the next connection is is Mel Peterson. And for fans of the Thunder, they get to see Mel at the games from time to time. Mel um, had a great career at Wheaton, starting with that uh, championship uh, in 57 and then all the way through 60. And then he went in the Army, but when he came out, he played uh, in the ABA and uh, was on three different teams. He was drafted uh, by Baltimore Bullets and uh, played actually a couple games in the NBA, but the most games he played were um, – were in the um, ABA and actually won an ABA title with the Oakland Oaks. Now, I tell you that because all those kind of things as a as a young kid watching these guys play, you know, started to get a little bit of interest in me for what happens when you're done playing college basketball. And I, I pretty much knew that when I had the opportunity, I probably would take the chance to come to Wheaton and, and play. Um, and something happened uh, right when I entered Wheaton that, that kind of connected also with the NBA. For several years, the Chicago Bulls had their um, preseason training camp uh, in what was then called Centennial Gymnasium. Now it's King, King Arena. So people, people always ask me what my first job was in the NBA. And I tell them, well, actually, I was the laundry boy for the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> In 1971 and 1972, I would take the laundry over and go under Williston Hall where they had a a big laundry machines over there and and, uh, wash and dry the uniforms twice a day for the guys. And and that was a great Chicago Bulls team. Uh, um, uh, Hall of Fame coach Dick Mata, uh, Jerry Sloan was on that team. Uh, Bob Love, longtime Bulls fans will remember him. So. That was an unbelievable connection for me, getting to hang around those players at that point. Of course, I would have had no idea at that point I would have the opportunity to to be in the NBA, but I certainly got a got a smell literally of what <laughs> of what that was like <laughs> hanging around the, the NBA guys. And then I got a chance to watch my two older brothers, John, um, who had been in Vietnam and had come back and played a little bit of uh, basketball in the Army, and then Kerry, who had just graduated uh, that year. Um, I saw them both in a free agent camp with the Bulls, um, and uh, that that was a great experience for me to see. I mean, they held their own, but there were some guys that were a lot bigger than them <laughs> on the court, and I remember I remember thinking, oh, there's – <laughs> There's a lot of good players at this at this level. So um, I graduated from Wheaton in '74, and to get to your question about you know getting to the NBA, I was a, a history teacher and coached at uh, Glenbard South for three years, and then I decided that I wanted to get to the college level, and I at that point had kind of decided that that uh, coaching was something that I wanted to pursue, and um, I uh, couldn't get a full-time 
college coaching job. I couldn't even get a graduate assistant job, but a gentleman by the name of Chet Kammer, uh, who was a coach at Westmont College, offered me a, a um, volunteer assistant job. And at that point, my older brother lived in California. So I called John and said, hey, I'm coming to live with you <laughs> and I'm going to be the <laughs> assistant coach at Westmont. And until I, until I can make some money, and get my own place. So that, that was the start of a, a wonderful eight years uh, at Westmont, a uh, great basketball program, great Christian college. And uh, if you're living in Santa Barbara, everything's everything's pretty good from that standpoint. <laughs> so um, I had a wonderful experience there. And it was during that time in Santa Barbara working for Westmont that I met a fellow named Bill Bertka. And Bill Bertka had two, two things that, that connected me with him. Uh, well, he was an NBA assistant coach with the Utah Jazz and then eventually with the Lakers. And then he ran a scouting service, which in those days, teams did not have extra assistant coaches to fly around the country and scout their college opponents. So if University of Illinois was going to play UCLA, they, they would hire this organization that Bill Burke ran called Burke Views, and they would hire some uh, Burke Views to scout UCLA and send back a report. And then when they went out to play UCLA, they had some kind of an idea. So that opportunity, which was very part-time, gave me a chance to do some scouting and get to know Bill and his wife, Solvay. And that led to the opportunity that um, in 1985, uh, the assistant for the Lakers, Dave Wool, went to become the head coach uh, of the New Jersey Nets. And uh, I was given the opportunity to interview for that job. Now, something that NBA fans today would be surprised at, at that point, NBA teams had two assistants. So even though <laughs> even though I was starting my career in the NBA in the 85-86 season, you know, I was, I was a second assistant on the bench. And so we didn't have analytics. We didn't have <laughs> video department. We didn't have, you know, second row coaches like you see now. So. Uh, not only did I get a unbelievable, you know, break to go from Westmont uh, NAIA school to the NBA, but I went to a team that was coming off a championship in in 1985, and so uh, I walked into an opportunity with a great team. And then you guys go on to win the title in '87 and '88 as well. And and I don't, I would imagine it, it's hard to kind of put into words what that's like to to ascend to the top of the top of the top of, of something like the NBA. Uh, but if you, if you can, what, what's that like to reach that height of, of the profession? Well, um, as you can imagine, um, coming from, from Westmont uh, and walking in the locker room with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper, Magic Johnson, uh, the guy that really hired me was Jerry West. And of course, the head coach was Pat Riley. Um, so there are a lot of stories, which I will not share about the <laughs> rookie coach, Randy Fund, <laughs> and how he had to kind of get up to speed on how it worked in the NBA. But I always tell people that that say, wow, you know, how, how did that work? I always say, you know, guys in the NBA enjoy the life they're 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 leading and and um if you can help them in any way continue their career and help them win i don't think they care where you came from <laughs> i don't think they care 
anything, if you if you can bring something to the table, and I, I think that's you know one of the things that's interesting about the Miami Heat right now is Eric Spolstra, uh, the head coach there, started at the very bottom, and Eric worked his way up, and and the main reason he worked his way up was that players believed in him and he he worked hard and he brought things to them as as players and shooters and offense and defense that helped them be better players and I like I like to think I did that in a small way um when I joined the Lakers I I know I brought some new ideas and some new terminologies that came out of the college game that that Pat and uh, Bill Burke were not familiar with and some of those things were things that we we used especially at the the defensive end but yeah, uh, it's a it's an understatement to say I was in awe, but I rolled up my sleeves and got to work. And the first year it did not end well. We got beat by Houston, um, which was I think the first time the Lakers hadn't been in the Western Conference Finals in about six seven years. Uh, but then the next year, my second year, uh, we beat the Boston Celtics, and I think most people remember. Game four, where Magic hits a running, running hook shot with a few seconds left in the game to give us the lead, and uh, so that that was my first championship experience, and I'm very thankful it ended in a a championship and a ring. I I really at times feel sorry for for athletes in any sport that get to a championship and don't win. Um, I don't care what they say; that that has to stick with you for a while when you finally get there and you're not able to to get the ring. As, as I'm sure you kind of mentioned, just the whiplash of going from NAIA to the NBA, were there, were there lessons that, I mean, you grow up in a, in a household where everybody's playing and your dad's a coach. What lessons do you kind of pull from of your time of growing up with a coach in the household to kind of help you stabilize and, and, uh, and kind of find your footing making that big jump? You know, um, I, I think for me, probably, um, I, I certainly owe a lot to my upbringing and uh, just, you know, the Wheaton connection is unbelievable for me, having that background, the quality of people and uh, college church, uh, the the men that I met and my, my friends um, growing up who still are my best friends, my <laughs> My buddies from Wheaton are still the guys I hang out with, but I, I think I think I understood a level of what it means to have an important job and to work hard at it. Um, there were certainly opportunities that I had never realized would be there for me um, off the court, and uh, some great, some not so great. And and I really think I, I remember when Pat hired me, he he said. Uh, you know, the reason I hired you, he says, you have no NBA scars. I want somebody who can come in here <laughs> with a fresh <laughs> perspective. And I certainly learned years, you know, years later after being fired by the Lakers uh, as a head coach, uh, what that meant a little bit. But I, I think the thing that I was able to bring to it was I worked really hard and there was nothing else very important in my life at that point. I mean, I was single and, uh, Every hour of every day, uh, and and the thing about scouting, my, my even though I was on the bench for most of the game, my responsibility was to know the other, know the opponent, put that down on paper, and uh, and get that to the players. 
And so, you know, that job is never ending. I mean, you always feel like you could watch one more game or go back and watch, you know, all the highlights of all their last second plays. I, I mean, that game four I was talking about, I thought I had seen every play that the Celtics had run in last second situations. And I'll be darned if they don't come up with a play that I had never seen. And Larry Bird got pretty much wide open uh, to hit a three that, that would have uh, sent the game into, no, uh, I think it would have sent the game into overtime. And I had never seen that play. Now, the, the next year against the Pistons um, in, in game six, uh, we went ahead uh, with some free throws with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and they had the ball on the side out of bounds and you know pat looks at me and says you know as a scout what 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 will they run what what do we look for and uh in that situation they ran the exact play that that i had seen them run many times before and we were ready for it and switched and they did not get off a good shot and because that you i've got a couple lines in one of riley's book where he explains that (laughs) (laughs) so every once in a while you're on on top of it. But, um, yeah, I, I think my background, um, you know, the quality of the people and the level of work I was willing to do, I, I think those were the things that were strong suits for me when I started. And then I, I was a student of the game for sure, having, having coached high school and college and then getting to know the pro game. Well, given, given the timing of, kind of everything we had in the spring and you coached magic, you coached against bird. Let me ask you what it was like the game plan for Michael, since we just had the last dance uh, earlier this year and the popularity of that, you have the unique opportunity of having to prepare for, for Michael Jordan. So how do you go about trying to do that? Well, and that, that brings back a, a uh, another person who really has uh, a strong NBA connection. When you say that, uh, I think of, of Coach Dick Helm, who who uh, followed uh, Dad at, at Wheaton, um, and then um, through another Wheaton alumni, Les Habiger, who played basketball at Wheaton and then uh, was a successful coach at Seattle Pacific, uh, and then joined Lenny Wilkins as his assistant. Dick Helm went to to Seattle um, and then uh, became Lenny's number one man and followed Lenny to to uh, several other places, including Cleveland, where, where Coach Helm on a regular basis had to try to figure out how to, how to stop Michael Jordan. <laughs> and we, we had a lot of conversations about that over the years. But um, I, I was fortunate. Um, I, think, I think we played uh, Michael uh, four times when I was the head coach of the Lakers. And I think we beat him three, three of the four. Um, and what we did is we switched everything with Michael Jordan, which I guess proves I was way ahead of my time because now everybody switches, <laughs> <laughs> switches everything. But we had some unique guys. We had AC Green, who was 6'9. He, he's kind of like Draymond Green now. He was, could play almost any position, wasn't a good ball handler or, or a ISO one on one, but defensively, he could guard a center, a, a power forward. He, he played Pippen a lot. But he could also switch, and Byron and and Byron was big enough um, that he could switch. The only thing, the only problem we had is, you know, when we had Magic, we could switch with a six nine point guard. But when I was head coach, we had Sadell three, who was six two. But um, yeah, we 
our strategy was basically to just switch and do the best you can. And I think Michael scored 53 and, and 54 <laughs> against us. Uh, and we won the game. And so my, my feeling was don't give everybody else a lot of easy shots just to stop him. And I think both games, um, you know, one of them went into overtime, but uh, the other two, I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of a six to eight point lead. So it never came down to the, the last possession, which was always the biggest problem with Michael because he could get wherever he wanted to go or, or you'd follow him and he'd get to the free throw line. So, um, yeah, I, I never brought that up when I was around Michael or when we were playing him in Miami because he, he beat us a lot. But uh, he came over to me once uh, after I had been fired and uh, put his arm around me and said, Coach, you'll, you'll get another shot. Well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I did have a 13-year career as a general manager in Miami, and, and certainly that was a great uh, – second act for me as far as uh, my NBA uh, career. Yeah. So how do you, how do you then make the move uh, into the front office and, and send your way to the general manager spot there for the heat where you, you find yourself on top again there in 2006 with, with the Dwayne Wade led team. Yeah. So I, I, uh, uh, I was a head coach 92, 93 and we, we made the playoffs. Uh, we beat Phoenix in the first two games on the road uh, in the playoffs. And that, that was actually the first uh, time any eight seed had, had beat a number one seed. The Suns had a real good team that year. Unfortunately, they came back and won the next three. And, and my good friend, uh, uh, Paul Westfall, uh, took that team all the way to the finals against uh, the Bulls and, and had a great series with, with the Bulls. So. Uh, the next year I was fired with 18 games to go and Magic Johnson coached the last 18 games of the year. The following year I sat out. I was kind of hoping to, to, uh, to keep my, uh, keep a head coaching spot. And I always tell people, you know, as a, uh, high school coach and then a NAI assistant coach and then an NBA assistant coach. And finally, after all those years being a head coach, I finally got to run the plays I wanted to run, not not just be suggesting plays to the head coach, and then he decides if he wants to run them or not. So after after having that experience as a head coach, I, I kind of hoped I would have uh, an opportunity. I was offered the Clipper job, but I decided not to do that. I talked to USC and UNLV about head coaching college jobs, but I ended up sitting out for the year, and then uh, that's when Pat Riley left New York and went to Miami, and uh, it took one phone call from him saying, hey, uh, I want you to join me in Miami, and uh, I, that felt like the right opportunity to join Pat. He had had a lot of success in New York, but wasn't able to, to win the ring, so uh, we had a long, tough haul in Miami. I mean, for the NBA fans that followed it, we immediately had a good team. We got to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to the Bulls. We had Alonzo Mourning traded for him. We traded for Tim Hardaway and Dan Marley. and But we could not get by the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks beat us three years in a row, and it was devastating. And, and after that, Alonzo Mourning got kidney disease and went uh, out of the league. So we went all the way to the bottom. And then 
we're fortunate to make two good draft picks, which was my my department. So I'm always thankful and uh, that we were able to get a couple guys that had good careers, uh, Karan Butler and then Dwayne Wade. And of course, once we got Wade, that started the uh, the climb back. And then the following year, we were able to trade for Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, we lost to the Detroit Pistons in 2005 in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then 2006, we were able to beat Detroit, and then go on and and beat uh, the Dallas Mavericks in the championship. Coming back from being down 2-0, by the way, we were down 2-0 in that series, lost the first two games. In Dallas. Now, the other Wheaton connection in the NBA, of course, is Donnie Nelson. And Donnie was a part of that Maverick and still is part of that Maverick organization. So th- th- that was that was one we had to win also. <laughs> I wasn't going to I wasn't going to have to look at Donnie for the rest of my life and say he beat us in the finals. So <laughs> um, I was I was very happy that uh, Dwayne really really had an unbelievable series his third year as a pro and he was the MVP of the finals. And, um, and so, yeah, that championship in 2006, it took us 11 years to, to get that parade down Biscayne, Biscayne Boulevard. And, um, and really after that, um, I kind of started looking and realized I'd been in the NBA over 30 years and kind of asked myself the question is, is this what I should be doing forever, or does God have anything else for me in in the plans? So um, two years later, I I stepped aside and and uh, had a couple opportunities after that, but they didn't uh, pan out. So um, I I left the Heat before LeBron James came, and of course you know that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you so given your familiarity, where do you find yourself? siding with with these NBA finals and how do you kind of view them uh, both as a coach and a GM of how these two teams have been constructed because they are two very different team constructions yeah um, well it's it's I I have closer affiliations now with the people you know in in Miami and and since I worked there it's it's an organization that's pretty much stayed together for uh, a number of years some of the people that were coaches there that aren't coaching anymore, work in broadcasting or some other area um, of the organization. And and the fellow that I mentioned, Chet Kammer, that was the, the gentleman that hired me at Westmont College, uh, I hired him back both as an assistant with the Lakers and then as a player personnel director uh, for the Heat. And he still works in the Heat front office and his son, Chad, is a scout for the Heat. So um, I have I have strong connections both ways. Um, I I put on Facebook the other day. I I'm kind of rooting for both teams, but I was rooting more for the White Sox, and I need a, a win by the Bears tonight. Those are you know those are go all the way back to my childhood, the White Sox and the Bears. <laughs> so um, I was I was disappointed that we didn't get further, but it was a good year by the White Sox. So I'm happy with them making a step forward, but. It's been it's been fun to watch. Most of the guys now on those teams, I did not um, I did not have any connection uh, with Udonis Haslam, who doesn't play now for the Heat, but he's still on the team. Uh, was a guy that we um, we got as a free agent, and he had an unbelievable career. It'd be nice to see Udonis get a get another ring, and of course Riley and and all those people. But um, I'll, I'll let it. 
I'll let it play itself out. I uh, I enjoy watching the games, um, but you know I'm very very grateful by God's grace that uh, I had an opportunity to to do something I love for so many years. I, I see so many young kids that seem to not be able to find a passion, and um, even though when I started teaching, you know I, I you know we didn't grow up with with uh, I mean Dad had a good job, but I didn't own my own car till I graduated from college and my first paycheck as a high school teacher. I, I remember that that was a good, (laughs) that was a good day. And so, um, from, from that standpoint, um, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to find something I really enjoyed that I loved, uh, that I was able to share my faith in the basketball uh, world with players and coaches and other people I had uh, opportunity to work with. And then, of course, to, to win some games and then eventually get to the NBA and win, win three NBA championships. Um, you know, what's, what's the expression? My, my reality surpassed my dreams. I think that's a pretty, pretty good way to say it. Yeah. So you, you've obviously mentioned a lot of names of these Wheaton alums that have gone on to work in the NBA. And what do you think? And that has obviously helped as we've seen even lately, Tony Bollier in the front office with the Bucks, and, and, and as a player, Aston Francis having a shot uh, post-graduation to move on. So what is, what do you think it is about Wheaton basketball that prepares so many people to go on into this next professional venture and that have given them so much success at the NBA level? Well, and, and probably, I don't even know. I know there's some other Wheaton grads that had jobs you know, in professional basketball that, that weren't on the basketball side, you know, people that worked in the business side. And, and um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give props to uh, Wheaton education, a liberal arts education, um, you know, a faith background that keeps you in line when there's uh, opportunities to go the wrong way by God's grace. You know, you make the right decisions in life and you stay on the, stay on the right road. And, uh, there's some unbelievable quality people in those those names I I gave to you. They just weren't basketball players. They were uh, quality people. Are are quality people, and um, so yeah, I, I would say that's a I think a feather in the cap for Wheaton College, and and as they as they do in many other areas of uh, of life, medicine and law and education and ever a, a Wheaton uh, a Wheaton education. Um, you know, is worth is worth a lot, and um, and to me, the thing that makes me you know really happy about it is I was able to share it with a lot of uh, my friends, and they were able to come to L.A. and Miami and all the other. I was I <laughs> I, I had you know with with coach going into alumni work uh, and knowing people all over the United States and, and having, you know, been at the college all those years. And Wheaton is, is a school where, you know, people come from all part of the country. Trust me, my ticket list was long for every game. Every, every (laughs) game we played cost me about $500 in tickets. (laughs) No matter, there's a Wheaton grad I know in every city in America, every NBA city. But uh, but that was fantastic, you know, to be able to have uh, some of these people I've even talked about. I remember Coach Helm and Coach Hudgens came to came to some games uh, after Coach had, had retired, and and uh, you brought up Tony Bollier. It's exciting to see his 
involvement with the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm still hoping Aston has an opportunity. I really, really enjoyed, you know, you know, t- last uh, eight years of dad's dad's life, I was able to spend, uh, you know, because I I had retired then and and didn't get another NBA job, I was able to see a lot of a lot of good games, watch Coach Harris's teams and Coach Shower's teams the last few years, and enjoyed some great victories and I was able to get down to Fort Wayne a couple of years ago and and uh, see those guys there so yeah that's been a lot of fun for me to be able to follow uh, follow the teams in the last few years and the, the success Wheaton, Wheaton basketball is uh, has had a pretty good history and I'm very proud to be a part of that my brothers were a part of that and a lot of my good friends also so we're we're proud of what the Thunder has done and what they continue to do. And hopefully when we get them back on the court, we can continue the winning tradition. Well, Randy, this has been great. We really appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, getting to t- share some stories and, and talk about your time in, in the NBA and, and your time at Wheaton and, and just share, sh- share your experience as, as a Wheaton alum. That's what we've enjoyed getting to do here on, here on the Thunder Sports Report. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, uh, one of the verses I think of at this time, I used I used this verse because it was short when I went on ministry trips was First uh, Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him. And this is certainly a time when uh, that's that uh, that verse makes a lot of sense these days. So um, hopefully everybody can stay healthy and stay safe and we can see Wheaton Sports back in action soon. That would be great.